This is the Shenandoah Down Under podcast. In the final days of the American Civil War, the CSS Shenandoah set out on an epic year-long secret mission. Join your Australian hosts, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, as they follow the last Confederate cruiser on its quest to find and sink the Yankee whaling fleet, wherever on the high sea they may find them. And hello! And this is Shenandoah Down Under, or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, with Robin Mob, Robert Love and Michael O'Brien, and I'm Rob. And I'm Mob! Yes. Hi Rob! <laughs> Hi Mob! One of the things I did over our, our Christmas break is um, I listened through all of our previous episodes, and um, I think we, we are yet to get our own introduction um the same in, in any two episodes, but but that that, that that's okay. We're, well, you 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 can expect the unexpected you when you're expect, listening. You can expect the unexpected in this show. <laughs> we 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 like we like mixing it up. So um, as as we start a a new year of uh, Shenandoah Down Under, both in uh, 2015 now and back in uh, in 1865, I guess the question comes up, um, Michael. So where are we this week? Well. I think, Rob, that we are in our new season. I think that's okay. the best way we can describe it for Shenandoah yes. Down Under. Yes. So we're up to season two. And the great thing is season one is now available yes. on our website, all yes. 12 episodes, and uh, on on iTunes as well, I and, understand. And on iTunes, um, with our, our lovely uh, Point Gellibrand Canon uh, logo. And um, we are now on Facebook as well, and uh, we have... Dozens and dozens of page likes. In fact, I think we're up to uh, we're up to seventy page likes in, in our first week. So it's been a very big week in in two thousand and fifteen. It was actually a seven thousand one hundred percent increase on the number of likes from the beginning for the previous week, which <laughs> which I, was which we, was one. Yes, I, I think if you do the math, uh, seven thousand one hundred percent increase on. Um, with seventy one as a final number indicates that the previous number was either one or. They count zero as a number, which, which they, they really shouldn't be. Um, but um, but you did ask me, Rob, where are we now? So apart yes. from the fact we're on Facebook <laughs> and iTunes, we're also uh, 150 years ago into a new year, 1865, and our ship, the Shenandoah, is now sailing in the Indian Ocean, and about this date, it's just left the island of St. Paul, which, if you look on the map, is if you drew a triangle between Africa, Australia, and Antarctica, you'd get to this island. It's pretty much in the, in the middle of nowhere. Well, uh, well and uh, luckily, given that I think we, we've already grievously insulted um, all 293 um, inhabitants of uh, Tristan de Cunha by pronouncing it Tristan de Cunha, <laughs> Um, perhaps luckily for us, uh, the Isle of St. Paul's, I believe there is a research station on it for um, uh, research of sub-Antarctic uh, flora and fauna, but I believe it is currently unpopulated, or that's what they say, because... Um, well, the thing is, Rob, um, the only thing we can people we can really be offending are penguins. Are, are penguins. Um, but... Um, because well, we we had a look uh, before going on air, we had a look at uh, the island of St Paul on um, on Google Earth, and I'm sorry, um, the Wikipedia page states that it's not currently inhabited, but 
I have never seen a more perfect island for a super villain's lair. I am absolutely convinced that you know, at some, uh, it's a it's a six kilometer square island with no vegetation that's visible from Google Earth, but with a volcanic crater full of seawater in the middle. And I just know that at some point, the walls of that um, volcanic crater will collapse and giant ships will come out to spread their. Um, then they have a very long way to sail. Um, that's the only thing I'd say. It's a super villain who kind of picked his his lair to be in a very interesting spot. Well, I, I, I thought they all, but <clears throat> again, um, so the, the Shenandoah um, came to St Paul's in um, early 1865, and it did kind of continue their tour of the most obscure parts of the world, which arguably is going to um, continue when they uh, they lob into. Um, uh, into Melbourne in a in a couple of weeks, both um, 2015 and uh, 1865 time. Um, but yeah, so we've already been we've been to Los Desertos, the deserted islands. We've been to Tristan da Cunha, um, again the most uh, inaccessible inhabited uh, archipelago in the world. And now we've gone to um, St Paul's Island, and um, uh, Captain Waddell makes a bit of a uh, bit of. Um, Mary um, in uh, in his memoirs that um, they they captured a ship uh, just a few days into um, the New Year's, including a redoubtable twenty six year old um, Northern, uh, the wife of the captain, and um, he offered to let her off at St Paul's, and she said, "No, no, 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 we'll stay on the boat with you, on the ship with you," which Waddell seemed to think was some sort of tribute to his uh, hospitality. <laughs> but I, I actually think if you look at the island of St Paul's on uh, Google Earth, Google Earth, it's the very last place that you would want to be um, marooned at. So the um, the ship they took was the Delphine. Yeah. It was actually the 29th of December that they took the ship. Okay. So it was their last capture of 1864. Yeah. And it was, interestingly, when they first saw it, they thought it was a Frenchman. But when they uh, headed towards it, it put up the Yankee colours, which made them very excited because it meant they could capture the ship, well, that, which that, they did. That would make them very excited. Um, but... Yes, I'm kind of wondering why a, um, a French-looking ship would, would be flying the Yankee flag. But anyway, they... they... Oh, now, again, that was the one, I believe, where um, uh, that the ship tried to, tried to get out of being captured by the captain saying that his, his, his wife was, was much too ill to be moved and um, was, was very upset by the sound of their gun. It was. So what happened was uh, the captain said that to move his wife you know, from uh, from one ship to the other in these seas might prove fatal. Okay. So what uh, what Mr Whittle did very cleverly is he got the surgeon to go over and have have it discreetly explained to him what Mrs Nichols' condition was. And it's never actually recorded what her condition was. But the surgeon said moving her would be fine. Okay. So she came over on uh, a chair. Yes. Um as did the rest of the crew. I don't know where... I think they came over in a boat, but she came over in a chair. And then later, Whittle did write that Mrs. Mrs. Nichols looks... really looks like anything but an invalid, being a large, fine-looking person, rather pretty. At first, she's a little frightened, but we can soon drive away fear by proving we are gentlemen. Proving we are gentlemen. Well, well Waddell makes um, a similar comment. that oh, He doesn't say that she was pretty, because, of course, um, he, was, he was a captain. 
Um, but uh, he does say that um, the supposed invalid turned out to be a, a you know, extremely healthy-looking woman of 26, so she was not exactly um, aged and infirm. But anyway, um, as, as, a, as a ruse, I think, you know, trying to say that, um, yes, it would... You know, it, was, it was certainly worth a it, try. It, it's always certainly worth a try. Because, of course, Captain Nichols had his ship then burned yes, to the water. Look, uh, quite frankly, if, if, if my ship is ever about to be burnt, I will... In, in always trying to use any medical conditions my wife has to uh, to try and get out of it. So interestingly, these uh, the, this ship was from the same place as that real down east Yankee Captain Staples yes. from a couple of weeks ago. Same, that, place, uh, same company or same port? Uh, from the same port, Mister that Mister Whittle took a real dislike to, yes. if you remember. But they they obviously didn't have the same dislike here for Captain Nichols and his wife because they moved them into the starboard cabin. There you go. So um, they, they got the, the best quarters, except uh, poor old Captain Waddell seems to be making a bit of a habit of offering his um, his his quarters to uh, you know visiting uh, prisoner ship captains and their wives. Yeah, which probably like. presumably means that one of the three flush toilets on board the <laughs> ship was then not available to everybody well, else. Was, yes, very hopefully was was in a. Um, also, also as part of this was it wasn't just the wife; it was also the little son, Phineas, as well. Phineas. Now, now, obviously, the the the, 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 cap, the, the family we had previously, where the little son was prone to going three cheers for President Davis, which I think meant he probably worked out that if he said that he got a toffee or something. Um, it obviously wasn't that family, so they must have they must have put them off at, probably at Tristan da Cunha. Yes. So really, I mean, Waddell's practically running a hotel by now. He ought to be very good at that. A very nice hotel with flush toilets. And of course, um, um, now, um, there were some aspersions made both at the time and later, although um, perhaps entirely scurrilous ones, that uh, Captain Waddell got a bit too close to, to one of the, uh, the female captives and I, I presume that if you were writing the movie it would it would uh, would, would be this one it would have to be mrs nichols although she, i think she <clears throat> probably wouldn't be mrs nichols in the movie she would probably have just been widowed in a in a freak um <laughs> sea accident or, or something of that nature so a few days later actually after they've burned the prize um Whittle does actually write, our lady passengers becoming more sociable and really seems to think that we are not at all a parcel of piratical barbarians. And I think you would be saying that if you've been given the nicest cabin on board the ship. Yes, but for a start, I don't think anybody ever refers to somebody as a parcel of barbarous piratical barbarians. I think he ought to have found another P in there to, to really have made that, um, yeah... Um, so that that gets us to January the first. Yes. And uh, on January the first, they hoisted the Confederate flag, yes. and they kept it up all day to welcome in the new year. Oh, there you go. Which means that if, if they'd taken a prize on January the first, um, they would have been out of luck. Yes, I, I guess so. So this is a good point to actually pause and say, what is going on back at the ranch? Back in back in the. Uh, Continental United States or the or the uh, or North America, what's going on there? They're busy fighting their war here out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. They've taken a number of prizes. They think that they are striking a blow against the Yankee. Back in uh, back in America, at about this time, uh, General Sherman has just finished his famous march to the sea, cutting oh, so a swathe. He, he, he had brought the Jubilee to the south. 
he has cut his swathe through the whole of uh, whole of the south. So right at the moment when uh, the Shenandoah's um, mission is is picking up and they're taking prizes and think they're thinking they're making great progress, the uh, Confederacy is in its uh, final days, I guess you could say, back in uh, back home. Not that they know this, of course. Not, not that they know this, and I think it's, it's not even that they don't know this, as in they really don't know it because they had no communication. But most of the crew of the Shenandoah had spent some time in England uh, before the Shenandoah even sailed. So um, I think... Um, Ca- I think the captain, for example, I think it was nearly three years, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, well, I, I, think he, I think he went over there in, in 1862 um, because uh, his wife was over there, and I, I believe they, yeah, um, maybe even their children, I, I think uh, Mrs. Liddell lost, uh, lost a child um, uh, some, 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 somewhere during that time. So... It, I mean, it, it doesn't matter in a way if you're getting the bad news from home by letter or by newspaper. Um, you're, in, in some way, it, it's just not, not as it, it, they're really out of touch. They, even though they might be hearing the bad news, you know, it, 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 they're, they're in a way like 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 um, you know people in Germany in 1945 who are still believing in the propaganda because they, they haven't seen a Yankee tank come through their their front window yet. Um, yeah, and meanwhile, Sherman's army is followed by thousands of freed slaves, and they're now making their way up to Richmond, up to up to Virginia. Meanwhile, uh, I think Lee's army at this point's under a lot of pressure, isn't it? There's there's lots of deserters, and uh, it's almost becoming the lost cause. Well, mind you, though, Lee's army is still in existence at this point. So yep. the, uh, the the war the war is not yet over. Uh, but it's uh, it's looking a bit sick. It's, uh, it's it's fair to say. So, so it was actually on January the second that they get to St Paul's. Yes, and even though uh, the island was meant to be deserted, there were a couple of Frenchmen there. Yes, they were left behind to look after some fishing equipment, and apparently would spend up to nine months of the year until the fishing uh, ships came back again. Which would be a very lonely existence. I, I think it, it wouldn't just be a lonely existence. It's it's entirely reliant on on the fishing boat you're on actually coming back. Yeah, bothering to come back. Yeah, that would <laughs> yeah. that would be pretty rough because otherwise you spend your time eating penguin, I guess. Which um, I, I, I think that would be a, probably a highly nutritious food, penguin. I think they would be very high in, in oil content, and, and after all, seals eat them. Uh, but they were probably probably taste a bit taste a bit fishy. fishy. I would say, yeah, mm. yeah. Now, now, sorry. The, 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 now, the uh, the Shenandoah did actually put into to port at St Paul's. Uh, uh, no, technically, there isn't a port. There is the very impressive the, the, looking the, crater, yes, super villain crater. And they they didn't sail into that because that would be a very dangerous thing to do. They sent in a uh, they sent in a launch. Yes. That had to pull its way in and pull its way out. And they were very tired when they got back. So obviously, it was a bit of a uh, Bit of a struggle to do so. Ah, but but they um, they, they brought back something that, that would have a lead role in the uh, in the movie. Yes, which is a penguin. They did. They brought back a penguin and some eggs plus a chicken. Now I'm not sure from the original sources whether they were penguin eggs or chicken eggs. It's it's hard to tell. I I, I imagine penguin eggs would be rather small. Well, <laughs> <laughs> on, on the other hand, chickens aren't. Uh, at all that big, but I'd say it was chicken eggs because again, Waddell in his account of that um, does emphasise that they 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 bought 
the chickens off the, uh, the the chicken off the the Frenchmen who were who are on the island. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're um, if you're if you're a Frenchman on a subantarctic island, of course you would want to have as many chickens as possible. Um, yeah, so that you could make your your omelette and your beer sauce. And uh, yeah. of course, of course. So um, they 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 get to some pools, and um, I think. One of the uh, one of the we, we should really get to um, errors, additions, attributions, and omissions. And um, one addition I'd like to make to uh, the the very interesting discussion that we had in our last episode. Um, we were talking about the unfortunate Lieutenant Chu. Mm -hmm. And if you look on TV tropes, a a, a Chu toy is a character who is perpetually um, being attacked by one or more of the other characters. In the in the TV show, and I think I think it's, it's, um, our Mister Chu is very much in that position at the moment. So uh, Mister Chu in our in our last episode, Lieutenant Chu or Lieutenant Chu, he was he was the one that the captain said he had absolutely no respect for, no regard for your commission or your person, which I guess left open that that he might have some regard for for his shoes or you know the the <coughs> his patent leather bureau, but. If, if no regard for your person or your commission, that that that's a pretty damning. That is especially coming from your captain. Uh, yes. And uh, <clears throat> if you also remember, uh, Mister Whittle took offence at that because Mister Chu's commission came from uh, the, the Senate of the Confederacy and and Jefferson Davis himself and, and, and Jefferson Davis um, himself. But now um, again, Mister um, Chu. Um, because revisiting our episode where we went through the previous biographies of the junior officers of the Shenandoah, um, Lieutenant Chu was the officer who said that when he got the calling to go to sea, drugs lost all of their appeal, um, which... I'm uh, sure he was regretting that <laughs> after uh, the, the episode of, uh, of last week. Well, but, but mind you, again, um, yeah, it lost all of his appeal because he was a pharmacist. Um, so, well, I... I Given that Waddell was a was a forty one was an old salt, I, I think a a lieutenant who had previously been a druggist and was used to dispensing you know, laudanum and whatever horrible precursor of Coca Cola they had before they realised that you make caffeine nicer by you know, putting sugar in it. Um, I, I can see that, that Mr. Chu would Lieutenant Chu would perhaps not be his ideal sailor. Mm, yeah, I, I think so. Speaking of, of drugs, uh, about this time, Mr. Whittle weighed himself oh. and discovered that he'd put on 22 pounds uh, since giving up tobacco, which uh, he memorably did about two months ago into the journey. And he says that this is one of the proofs of how ruinous tobacco was for me. I don't think I will ever recommence its use. And we'll, we'll see if he follows up with that promise over the rest of the journey. 22 pounds in a car. That, that, that sounds like me uh, over the recent Christmas break. Um, yes, that, that's... But, but giving up smoking will do it too. He, he shouldn't have given up chewing. He should just have given up smoking. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, sort of, that, that, that's why they had spittoons in all of the old... Um, yeah. All of the, old, all the, the, the best um, drawing rooms of the 19th century, so you could spit your tobacco juice into the, uh, into the spittoons. Another interesting thing that <clears throat> he noted about this time, actually on January, January the 8th, was that it was the 50th anniversary of the Battle of New Orleans. 
Uh, the Battle of New Orleans, um, the last uh, battle of the... I'm, I'm hoping it's the War of 1812. It was the War of 1812, yes. and uh, Which obviously went on to 1813 and 1814 as well. One of the big problems about the Battle of uh, New Orleans, a great victory, was the fact that it was fought after the peace had been concluded, but nobody in New Orleans at the time knew about it. Was at least was it at least won by the winning side? The War of 1812 kind of didn't have a winning side. Okay. Uh, it was a negotiated peace. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it didn't really help that uh, there was this great victory afterwards. Um, that's interesting, of course, because we're in a situation now where we again have a navy, or what's left of the navy, one ship in fact, out there fighting a war, not really knowing what's going on uh, elsewhere. Well, I, I, yes, let, let, let's leave that as ominous foreshadowing for the <laughs> moment, and, and not, not, not quite, uh, quite spill out where, where, where that is leading us to. So, now, um, on January the 15th, so January the 15th, uh, 1865, the... Um, the Shenandoah was at 39 degrees, 34 minutes south. So it's not at that point into the, um, the roaring 40s. Um, but it had got down there. And I think in, um, in late uh, December, um, they got down to uh, 43 degrees, uh, 40 minutes south. And Waddell uh, made a note in his memoirs, should I ever make another voyage to Australia, I would go very little south of the howling 40s. Now, I'm, I'm presuming that the howling 40s was was the term used back in the 80s, which just shows that the 19th century had a tin ear, because I, I think the roaring 40s is... Uh, That's far more evocative, I think, yes. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Although, you know, it, it, it is making the point that they, they howled. Um, but um, I, I think it's kind of assuming there that um, you've got a choice of... of of how far you you've got to go down and get the winds, don't you? you? You've got to go down there and get the winds. So they they did get well into the um, into the we'll call them the Roaring Forties. I think they did get well into the Roaring Forties, but obviously not down to the fierce Fifties. I mean, what would they if they call it the Howling Forties or the the the, the frumptious Fifties or something like that? It was the Screaming Sixties, wasn't it? It's the Screaming Sixties now. now. Uh huh. And I'm trying to get the suicide 70s up for the 70s. But, uh, yeah, don't, with what success, we will see. Um, so they, they did go down into the, um, into the roaring 40s. But, of course, in his, um, in his um, journal, um, Whittle has a, um, a, a long description about his, his, his great fight with uh, Waddell over the... the the fitness or otherwise of Lieutenant Chu to um, to to stand his deck, as mm-hmm. I said. Um, and at the end of this, um, Executive Officer Whittle said that, that you know basically um, that um, Captain Waddell had had begged him uh, to speak no further of the uh, of the of the incident. That uh, presumably he was heartily ashamed of himself, and uh, Whittle then. Um, told Captain Waddell that back in England, Captain Waddell's wife had begged uh, Whittle not to argue with her husband, uh, presumably because she knew him to be an, an argumentative, uh, argumentative man. Oh, that must have hurt. That must have hurt, yes, yes. You, you never really do want um, you know, to hear um, 
you know, that, that, that your wife has uh, has reservations about your um, uh, your behaviour, um, and, and conduct as an officer, and conduct as an officer, especially uh, hence, especially hence, Rob. What does he say about it in his his own memoirs? Okay, well, um, in the the memoirs of uh, Lieutenant Commanding James, hold Bates, them up to the microphone, right? Yes, I'll do the traditional holding the source up to the microphone and, uh, and ruffling the pages. Uh, so this is this is um, Waddell's description of the the same period, um, late in um, December um, eighteen sixty four. Um, upon reaching the parallel of forty three degrees thirty minutes south. The wind was a revolving gale, the path of which lay southeast, freshening with increasing violence. It became evident that to continue the course would be hazardous, and by changing the course to the north of east, the ship would make better weather in a short time. She rolled so heavily that sea after sea tumbled in over her railings, and her preparation for freeing herself was so indifferent that water was several inches deep, flooding all the apartments on that deck. Uh, a Christmas dinner had been prepared of the captured supplies, but it was quite impossible to sit long enough to enjoy it, except under difficulties. Most of the dishes left the table for the deck. Now, so um, in that, Waddell is um, uh, repeating the, um, you know, the the issues that were in our very special Christmas episode. We mentioned about the Christmas dinner and that the, the roast beast in, ended up on the floor, but... Um, I don't know. Do you think there's something missing? There, I think yeah. he singularly fails to talk about the same issue, yeah, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, he singularly fails to say, I had a massive blow-up with my executive officer about the fitness for duty of one of my other officers, at the, the end of which I ignominiously backed down. Totally and, capitulated <laughs> and, in <laughs> fact, begged him to never talk about it again. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no mention of that. So I think... Um, Wendell, um, we've 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 got some amazing details out of uh, out of Whittle's um, Whittle's journal, and uh, really to to have to have a source like this uh, for our for our podcast is is just amazing. But um, is he an unreliable narrator? I guess that, that that's the question. Well, that's it's interesting you say that because. <clears throat> uh, later in January, about the tenth of January, he he recounts how. Um, with uh, one of the other mates, Mr. Bullock, having very sore eyes from taking too many sightings, yes. which I think means he's been staring at the sun too much at noon. Very possibly. Um, that leads to a long and complicated rearrangement of which people are going to be doing watches and so on, and apparently this resolves the whole issue of Mr. Chu for a while. Uh, does it resolve it, resolve it by... Um putting him in charge of the ship's pharmaceutical store. <laughs> Do you think it was a tactful resolvement of this issue? Or, uh... But then a couple of days later, there's something very interesting again about the dynamic between the captain and his first officer where Whittle writes that he had a plan that would lead to four or five prizes, but the captain refuses it. Unfortunately, he doesn't say what the plan is or why the captain refused it. But it again just shows that there's clearly a uh, a difference of opinion between the captain and his first officer as to what they are doing and where they should be going. Well, given where they are, um, unless unless Whittle was proposing to to go into the port of Fremantle and, and take all Union ships there, it, it's difficult to know. He, exactly what he, he could have thought. Well, it's particularly difficult to know because as far as I can see, he doesn't mention it again. 
but he clearly had a very exciting plan at, at some point or, or a brainwave, which uh, the uh, captain told him no. A very exciting plan, details of which to, to be revealed later. So, uh, of course, thwarted in that way, uh, obviously he got his frustrations out by recounting in great detail for the next several days how he tries to some people up for being bad. So there you go. Well, he, he tries... He tries one person up because he felt that they were a bit of a scab. I, I don't know. I think if you're a bit of a scab, you don't necessarily need to be, be hanging you from your... From, from, from this, your was, uh, this was John Williams, I believe, the, uh, the wardroom... Was he the wardroom cook? I think he was, I think he was ship's cook. Ship's cook, was he? And uh, he'd stolen the wardroom steward's shirt. Well, maybe the wardroom steward had a nice shirt. I, yes. I think he might have. And... Uh, in fact, Whittle says, I wouldn't be surprised if he, uh, if he leaves the ship at the next port. Well, um, given that um, this is something we haven't particularly gone into because we uh, rather fear being uh, Australian and white, that we'd have a rather a tin ear about this, but John Williams was in fact um, an a African-American and, and one of their pressed sailors. So, yes. And I think, um, if memory serves, one, of, one, of, you know, one or two... Um, African Americans who actually served served aboard the Shenandoah. Um, so, would it really be a surprise to a to a, a, a Southern officer that that um, a uh, pressed man is unhappy? <laughs> a pressed man is unhappy, especially when uh, you know he seems to have been uh, you know punished for for stealing shirts left, right, and centre. Um, so, th- this brings up something that is. Um, uh, we're going to be coming up very much uh, over, over the next month or so, actually. Is that while, um, as they crossed the Indian stroke Southern Oceans, um, uh, Waddell and Whittle have a reasonably fully manned ship, they don't have a happy ship. And um, no doubt this is because many of their sailors do not want to be there. So um, one of their, their big um, tasks when they get to Melbourne is that they, they want to recruit from the Melbourneites, and Melbourne was a, was a major port in those days, People who actually want to be on their ship. Which is going to be uh, interesting diplomatically because, of course, <laughs> Melbourne was in the colony of Victoria, part of the British Empire. Uh, the British Empire, and so recruiting foreign nationals will be completely illegal. Although, given that they, they haven't had any problems so far with hanging foreign nationals by their thumbs until um, they agree to join their ship, um, maybe they won't um, you know, have any problems with this. Except... Um, Again, Melbourne being a, a major port, port with lots of people around, hanging people by their thumbs won't be so um, yes. won't be so easy or or incognito. The the other irony, of course, uh, given that they've talked about the Battle of New Orleans, is the War of eighteen twelve. One of the causes of that war was the fact the British were taking American oh. sailors and forcing them, pressing them to serve on board their ships. So we've got the exact opposite situation going on going on now. Very interesting. Well. Um, uh, now, um, over the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be recording on a, on a couple of Shenandoah-related um, events coming up uh, in the world of 2015. Um, so, including a, a whiff of controversy because uh, Williamstown are having uh, tall ships on Australia Day, and uh, that is going to cause. It's the 26th of January, and it's the Shenandoah arrives on the 25th, and uh, I believe it's going to be a a commemoration of the arrival of the Shenandoah at that tall ship ceremony. Now, uh, I think they've been very careful to say commemoration, not celebration, because um, 
uh, Australia's citizens don't want to celebrate the Confederacy, so they will be um, commemorating it. Mm-hmm. And I believe also um, there's a um, possible um, uh, festivities uh, around the 150th anniversary of the Buccaneers Ball in Bendigo. Ballarat. Oh, I, I've been making that mistake for 30 years now. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Same alliteration, but uh, but wrong wrong gold town. Oh, yes, dear, it's dear. Ballarat. On, on that note, um, this has been the unlucky for some, but lucky for us, um, 13th episode of Shenandoah Down Under or Confederate Pirates Save the Whales, now available at shenandoahdownunder.com and iTunes podcast and Facebook. So, well, um, hey. Once again, for the start of our second season, this is a Robin Mob, a Robert Love and Michael O'Brien. I'm Rob. I'm Mob. Tally ho. Tally ho and ahoy.